The following podcast contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, you think the Earth is flat, do you? And there are Jewish space lasers? Take a seat and listen up, because we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. I'm battle-torn and tested and wasted. Hey, I'm Joe. Hey, I'm LeJohn. And I'm Matt, and this is the Going There Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to cover a handful of topics that relate to policy, you know, federal and local, and specifically what it's like to govern right now in this tumultuous time. Battling COVID, racism, hatred, bigotry, and this crazy re-emergence of anti-Semitism. If you would have asked me a few years ago if I thought there was a big anti-Semitic movement in this country, I would probably say, no, you know, that's something that happened 60-some years ago. We've evolved since then. You'd also be able to call me a liar and, and prove me wrong. Even just with the events of 2020 and 2021 so far, groups like QAnon, who harbor this vile hatred toward the Jewish community, they've come to light, and it's frightening to realize how many people support hateful ideals and beliefs. And here to speak to us from a personal and professional perspective is my Ohio State representative of the 37th District, starting a second term, and a U.S. Air Force veteran, Mr. Casey Weinstein. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Matt. I'm um, thrilled to be here and uh, appreciate the um, the opportunity to talk about some challenging subjects right now. Yeah, these are these are conversations that are important to have, uh, you know, with bigotry and hatred across the board, but but especially that are pointed towards the Jewish community. And it's it's really sad. Um, and we were originally supposed to have this conversation a while ago. And of course, 2020 happens. And then and then you, unfortunately, were exposed to COVID, uh, like so many people that we know. And uh, it kept getting pushed off. And then I, th- I actually think it was for the best because after January 6th, I think there's no denying that we have an epidemic going on in this country, which is essentially hatred. Yeah, we uh, had, I had an exposure. The the best place I can peg it coming from is the state house, where unfortunately a lot of my colleagues did not wear masks on on the other side of the aisle. And great, you know, great, great. We, yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing spread like wildfire through my family. I mean, I was positive. My wife, um, both my in laws, um, you know, and we're we're all luckily pretty much over it. You probably, um, you, you probably didn't mind the in-laws, though, but yeah, but <laughs> he's on the record, though. So no yeah. comment. No, comment. <laughs> no, but like my uh, my father-in-law is one of these guys, you know, his old old union guy, just tough, strong guy, never gets sick. I think he said the last time he got sick was like 1992, or at least that's what he'll admit to. And this thing, this thing knocked him out. I mean, it was uh, he was down and out. He's, he's, you know, from an energy level and. And it's just, it's a different beast, this thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was that was a fun little element and, and just sort of an apt way to end 2020 for my family, completely locked down. Um, but we got through it. Are they going to 
impose any kind of fines and, and uh, you know, any kind of consequences for people not wearing masks, not adhering to the safety guidelines now? No, there's just no, uh, we've, we've asked and we've pushed, our, our Democratic caucus has pushed really hard on that. We've tried to introduce amendments to bills, um, which is really the only way we can, we can get a bill to the floor in the minority. And they all get shot down. There's just uh, no appetite for a mask mandate in the state house, unfortunately. Even with, I think, 12 of us at one point were out in December, um, sick, and two of my colleagues in the hospital. And uh, still, it wasn't enough. What's their reason? Is it just like they are uncomfortable with wearing a mask or, you know, it's giving them breakouts on the mask line? Like, what's their actual reason? No, I mean, they feel oppressed. You know, they feel like it's... <laughs> Let me give you this communicable disease because I'm feeling oppressed. Yes. So, you know, like they feel censored. They feel like their freedom and liberty is being put on the line. You know, we have no sense of shared sacrifice. God forbid we have like a, a something like a World War II type of event that truly requires required shared sacrifice from from our our nation. I don't like I don't know that we're capable of that. Like it's uh it's it's disheartening to see what a small token of a sacrifice wearing a mask is and how big of a deal that that's become politically. Is it primarily the the older uh representatives or It's unfortunately pretty widespread throughout the Republican caucus. I I'd say maybe Maybe a third to 40 to 50 percent of them do wear masks and then half don't. They, you know, this is uh, infringing on their liberties and it's oppressive to be wearing a mask. But like giving a disease to somebody, making them sick or killing them. I mean, killing somebody is against the law. And I think assault is also against the law. Could you be charged with giving someone COVID? Is that something that's like willful negligence, right? Yeah. You know, it's like men have to wear pants. You can't just like swing your dick outside and be like, I'm. Wait a minute. You you can't. Sorry, LeJohn. (laughs) It's just like you're you're not supposed to do that. I think the issue there is I I completely agree, Joe, that there, there should be um, people should be held responsible, but that proving that it came from a certain per- place or person, I think that would be the, I think that would be the challenge. Um, you know, we, I've racked my brain. Like we, you know, we went to the Akron Zoo one night. We, we it was outdoors only in masks. You know, and and I guess that could have been an exposure point. But the 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 uh, friends that we were with, none of them got sick. You know, uh, from that. So I just I, I'm trying to think about like what did we do? And it's just it's it's so disappointing. Um, it's disheartening, and e- especially after two of my great colleagues were put in the hospital because of this. I mean, the next week, one of my fellow representatives showed up, um, you know, positive for COVID still. I mean, he was near the end of it, but he was still positive for COVID, showed up without a mask at the state house. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. Up is down. I think that that's literally, that is exposing yourself. That's like, that is yeah. like a man taking off his pants and running into no, a it's school. Wor- it's worse than that. I, it should be considered at least bad. as bad. Yeah. So people will start to take it seriously because you're you're killing people. You know, we never thought that we would see in our time not only a pandemic, but have it become politicized. Just as a human being, if somebody was like, "We're not 100 percent sure, but we know that masks might help." Wouldn't you just do that? <laughs> like, right. wouldn't yeah. we just do that even if we weren't one hundred percent sure if it meant we could possibly save some lives? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that it's um like that these are just crutches that people use because of mental health? You know, because I will say this is definitely taking a toll on everyone's mental health. I think it's bad politics. It really is because the terms that keep getting thrown out there, 
that are weaponized or things like sheep, compliance, and you're, you're trying to infringe on my liberties. That's not liberty. That's entitlement. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. You got you to gotta understand how laughable this is as a black man. This is what you consider oppressive? Yeah. Wearing a mask. Wow, yeah. man. Like of all the things that we've been through, people of color, period, not just black people, but people of color overall. And this is what <laughs> that's laughable. I'm sorry. That's funny as shit to me. Well, John, I heard a, I heard a great quote one time that said, when you've been privileged for so long, equality can feel like oppression. Wow. Something like an equal ma- mask mandate for all. There's an element there where you've, you've had this privilege. I've had this privilege for so long. Uh, I guess uh, for some, it just feels to them. It feels like oppression. That's wow. not an, it, I mean, that's uh, where you got to get your mind to, to try to understand where they're coming from. I can't get yeah, there. Casey, that's awesome, man. Wow. Wow. Well, before we get into, I guess, the crux of anti-Semitism, can you walk us back a little bit through who you are, your history, and what's brought you here to this point in time today? Sure. Yeah. I, I, um, I grew up in a military family all over the, all over the country. My dad was actually a lawyer in the Reagan White House. Um, just saw Tommy Lasorda passed away in the last week. And I got to meet him in the Rose Garden of the White House in first grade when the Dodgers won the World Series. They were my favorite team. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's like my um, defining childhood memory. And like in a lot of ways that was and um, I grew up, you know, kind of in that D.C. area. And, and you know, you have a little bit more awareness maybe as a kid of of, of government and, and the capital and, and what it all means. And, and um, you see and, and feel it a little bit more on in your daily life. And so I, I kind of was, I was steeped in that a bit as a kid. And, and uh, we ended up kind of living all over the country, ended up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, where I spent uh, some of my formative years. And then I went off to the Air Force Academy and spent uh, four years there, graduated in 2004. And when I was in the cadet gymnasium between my junior and senior year, I was adjusting a TV old school cathode ray tube, big, big ass bulky TV, big booty TV. Yes. And this thing fell off its pedestal on the wall as I was trying to move sports center and turn it to my new machine. And I was cut, I was stuck like atlasing this thing and not, not successfully. And it was kind of coming down on me. And the only other cadet in the gym was Amanda Baronic. And she, uh, I yelled for help and she came over and helped me get this TV, you know, um, off my shoulders and onto the ground. Um, thereby locking the power dynamic of our relationship in uh, immediately. And um, <laughs> we ended up dating, had her out on a date six months later. That's how quick and uh, effective of an operator. Very smooth. Very um, smooth. <laughs> how many other TVs fell on you before you finally <laughs> got the courage? Like this guy's been going around the entire base and just knocking TVs off the wall, hoping this girl comes over to help. Him. Hey, it was a four to one guy to girl ratio. We, there were extraordinary measures that some of us had to take to get. <laughs> well played. Um, we ended up getting engaged around graduation, and I went out to Los Angeles. She was assigned to Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, and when we got married a year later, they moved me to join her in Ohio. So in 2005, I was ordered to Ohio, but very happy to um, to stay. We just we we were in the Dayton area, loved it, had a wonderful eight year experience there. Ned Peppers uh, was one of our main hangouts, which later became the site of a mass shooting. So it's like there's yeah, there's I mean, all kinds of of memories and and, uh, that we had just a wonderful experience overall there. So we served out our commitment. Um, She went into Ohio State for a a Ph.D. program, um, wanted to teach. And I uh, finished an MBA at Ohio State, went into the private sector. um, And uh, I do I do have a job in the private sector, too. um, But it's kind of flexible work from home. So I've been following her around 
um, since, and she got hired onto the University of Akron in 2013. And uh, that's what brought us up to Northeast Ohio to settle in Hudson. And um, since then, we've had uh, Nora, who's six, and Amelia, who's three, and we just adopted Brady, who is two. Um, so we got we got three kids keeping us busy for sure. And then uh, I just I had this desire to continue serving. That's kind of always been in my DNA. I was in student government. I was in wing leadership at the academy. Um, I got really involved in uh, politics down in Dayton, and then I moved up to Hudson and and immediately got involved here uh, through Rotary and Leadership Hudson and different programs. And that led to an opportunity to run for city council here in 2015. Won that election by 47 votes. I don't tend to win my elections by a lot. (laughs) 47 (laughs) votes, got into Hudson City Council and became the Democrat on Hudson City Council for those three years that I served. Uh, then in, then the state house seat opened up. Um, it was in Republican hands, and we were able to to win that race in 2018, flip that seat, which is not an easy thing to do in Ohio. You know, we were able to get it done. So I was I served my first term. I was uh, the ranking member on the Armed Services Committee, which was an awesome experience. I was on the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, fighting that bad HB6 bill and uh, agriculture and rural development. And I'm very happy to be starting a second term, ready to rock again. How stressful was this last 2020 election? It is a baseline level of stress that I kind of describe as not being able to catch that last 10% of a deep breath. Um, I'll tell you, like in this year, it got especially negative. Our, my local race was was flavored in the national race. I would say in, in my election, maybe 90% of it was already baked in by the presidential. So we were fighting for that last 10% of really probably persuadable voters who would be willing to, you know, go down ballot. But still, I mean, $800,000 or so was spent in a state house race. It was very heated. I felt as stressed or more (laughs) as I did in the 2018 cycle. I think one of the first posts I read of yours on Facebook was about the kind of hatred and the kind of harassment that you were getting during the political season and even the anti-Semitism, which it's just kind of crazy that we're still here. I guess, you know, there's there's those of us like myself who are naive to think we've evolved past this when we haven't. Yeah, I, thanks, Matt. I, what we saw at the state house, there was sort of this nexus of forces that was going on. I mean, you had the anti-mask movement and there were anti-vax groups and pro-gun groups like the Ohio Gun Owners Association, which is like the NRA on steroids, coming together to organize these protests at the state house. So, there was this real high temperature in terms of stress level. There was a tension in the air at the state house. And what you also saw mixed in with these elements at the state house were anti-Semites. And, you know, they were just kind of in and amongst the crowd. And I think that says something about those those protesting groups, the um, the gun owners, the anti-vaxxers, that these folks were just sort of intermingling and, and in them. But um, what really captured my attention is when members of the Jewish community started forwarding me this picture of this guy. So I don't know if you saw this, Matt, but the guy carrying the blatantly anti-Semitic, you know, swastika Jewish rat um, sign at this protest. Yeah, yeah. Guy with a a heavy criminal record. Turns out he lives in Canton. Threatening, just a very threatening element. And then what would also happen is stuff would show up on our doorstep. You know, like we uh, people would leave leave notes, um, anonymous notes on my doorstep and in my mailbox. And it happened more often than I reported because there's this element of people saying there's a, there is an undercurrent of people saying he's making it up for political purposes. So I really try not to 
share a lot of it um, unless, you know, it, I feel like it needs to be put out there and people need to be made aware of it. Um, the FBI has all this stuff. They've been fantastic, by the way, the, the regional FBI office. They've, they've been great. This email was told me I was going to be taken out and I forwarded that to them and they were able to um, to trace it. And they actually confronted the guy. Wow. Was it Lord Ratcher? It was a 50 year old virgin living in his mom's basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know, but I just don't like you for some reason. I know, right. <laughs> Mom, make me some bagel bites. Exactly. <laughs> it's really sad and it's really sick that it's there. But I saw something great. There was some kind of meme, you know. There's times where you have to take a step back and say, maybe I'm on the wrong side of things. If Nazis are on your side, you're probably on the wrong side. (laughs) If you have the KKK and people with swastikas, you're probably on the wrong side of things. Right. (laughs) Casey, you grew up all over the country. What was it like? being Jewish in all of those places? Is it is it harder now because of everything that's happening or is it because where we are in Ohio? Is New Mexico less anti-Semitic? It's different everywhere. And I was at different life stages everywhere, right? Like as a in Northern Virginia, we had a melting pot and, you know, I was young and I, I, do, I have no recollection as a young kid. I, I moved from there when I was 12 and I, we had a, we're part of a pretty vibrant Jewish community there and, and had a wonderful experience growing up. And, and, you know, young kids, I don't think, um, if they, if they heard it in their home, they weren't parroting it to me, to my memory. And then, you know, Albuquerque is its own kind of melting pot. We had a native American population, a significant Hispanic population. Um, you know, I had uh, African-American as well. So my high school was very diverse. Right. And so, yeah, there was an element, there was a, um, when, when like arguments or fights would break out, that's, that's where, you know, some kids would go to is the Jewish thing. And there are a couple comments in my mind that stick out, um, you know, on the baseball field, I was a, I was a baseball player and, and, it, um, when, uh, got in an argument and, and people would bring up Holocaust stuff, right? Like they, that's, it, that's where a couple of them went. And I will never forget these comments. They're seared into my memory. And, and so it was there and you're aware of it. And then, yeah, at the Air Force Academy, I became very aware of it. I mean, that was where it really it really pops for me. Um, you have this sense of being, you know, of being other, of being separate, of like, I think it's maybe 0.001% of what like LeJohn deals with on a daily basis, right? Of, of uh, Because I look, I look white, I blend right in, I am white, I blend right in, but then you still have a little bit of an understanding, just a little bit of what it's like to not be with the in sort of in the mainstream or, you know, for example, our generals at the academy would would hold Bibles during their presentations. They would hold Bible studies when the general, the commanding general of the academy found out my wife was dating me. He urged her to take me to a passion play. You know, my wife's Christian at the time because of the discrimination and anti-Semitism that was going on there. Out of that came my dad's uh, nonprofit, the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Which, which fights for religious equality in the armed forces. But you definitely have this sense of being the other. Right away at basic cadet training, which is this intensive first six weeks of your time at the academy, uh, if you didn't go to church, uh, you were in heathen flight, they called it. And they you would stay back, you would clean the dorms, or you would be on restriction or something like that if you didn't go to a service or something. So they, they kind of separate you out right away. And that's such a common theme in today's America. You know, so I was... I was raised in a very evangelical setting, and we're hearing these certain terms and languages used today, which is essentially 
we are all for religious freedom. Essentially, you can praise Jesus however you want. And it's like, yeah. that's not you religious freedom. You can praise Jesus by judging Jewish people. You yeah. can praise Jesus by judging poor people. You can Hating praise black Jesus. People. Right, yeah. Yeah. So Jesus was white. We're he all was, for it. Yeah. We're all for it, but he, the, these are your options. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, and I mean, and that to me, that's gross. It, it's just so gross because we talk about people being victims. Oh, you're making me wear a mask. Christians, a lot of Christians have victimized themselves. And I say this as a practicing Christian. Certain parts of certain churches have victimized themselves saying like, they're trying to take away our right to pray and they're trying to, it's, no one's trying to take any rights away from you. I think it goes right back to what you were saying about equality feeling like an attack on your freedom. Yeah. Like, you know, the white people on the buses in the South in the sixties were not being discriminated against by not being able to sit in the back of the bus. Yeah. Okay. Like, to try to turn it around into they're being oppressed for their ability to discriminate, you know, or like it's this gulf that I, that it's, it's tough to leap. It's very it's it's frustrating, which also makes them realize that, yes, yeah, something is wrong, because if, if you even think that you feel that way, that you're recognizing the fact that somebody is genuinely going through that stuff and it's a problem. Exactly. As much as we don't want to. I think we need to kind of wade our way into the events of January 6th. Um, this is very recent as of the time of this recording. By the time this airs, you know, much more will have happened after the fact. But what we watched was not just a siege on our Capitol. We saw people proudly wearing and sporting anti-Semitic signs, flags, clothing, uh, several people wearing Camp Auschwitz hoodies, which is just gross. And then there's the 6MWE. And I don't yeah. know if this is rumored or if it's true, but it, it's supposed to stand for 6 million wasn't enough. Yeah. Essentially, the Holocaust didn't kill enough Jews, which I don't know if there's anything more disgusting than that, other than maybe the fact that they brought a noose. Yeah. There is no denying that QAnon and a lot of these groups are rooted in anti-Semitism. I don't know where that comes from, if it's Nazi ties or, you know, because I know there's conspiracy theories about, you know, some rich, famous Jewish people and maybe them, you know, trying to take over the world or something. But where, you know, where's this all come from and what, what the hell is going on? And are Republicans, even at the more local, the state level, are they, are they acknowledging that this is like a health crisis? Casey, we're counting on you. <laughs> yeah. Casey, <laughs> we're hoping you have all the answers. <laughs> Is it ignorant of us to assume because he's Jewish, he knows everything about this? I, I thought that was the purpose of the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> LeJohn talks about black issues. You can talk about Jewish issues. I know. We, we, I've cornered the market on it. For sure. <laughs> Perfect. Well, there used to be a line. I, I, I felt a very, very firm line when it came to Nazis and KKK. And I feel like that line has blurred with, again, what shocked me even more, like I've come to, I think we've all come to expect almost anything in the Trump era, but that still shocked me, shocked me and scared me last week. LeJohn, were you looking at that? Like what, what are the other people thinking like oh, this KKK and white power stuff and Nazi stuff, they're just in the crowd and nobody cares. Nobody's challenging them. That was where my head went to first. Right. Exactly. It's like, I don't know. It sounds like you had that thought, too. No, I mean, just just to see it um, and, and have it be so normalized and just like, you know, it was just casual as hell. Yes. And and, and then for, you know, for for people to be the reaction in the media and everything. And I'm sitting here on my couch like, 
Yeah, this has been going on for a long time. It's like they're just like groups from Anchorman too. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, like, who put this shit on reruns? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah, I mean, it's the same damn show over and over again. Like, like, are you guys watching Hogan's Heroes over here? What's going on? This new plot's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean that that first is is what really shocked me. Is like that that's there. That element is there. The Confederate flag made it into the Capitol for the first time. You know, in, I don't know if you've seen that picture yeah. of the guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the first time it's been like, you know, that from what I've read, that's the first time that flag has been in the Capitol yeah. building. And it took a president, a sitting president, encouraging it to happen. So that that hateful mix that was in there was just was absolutely shocking and, and scary. What I'm more used to in my races up in uh, up in Northeast Ohio is um, like casual, a little bit more like people will call me Harvey Weinstein. People will link me to George Soros. The George Soros thing is all over the place. And it's the most nuts freaking conspiracy theory that this guy who's this old really wants to destroy America. I mean, what happened to Occam's razor? The simplest explanation is probably what it is. Oh, and it's like, these patriots are trying to storm. Oh, wait, no, they're bad. Um, That's Antifa. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Even though they're like pro-Trump and they like are Nazis, they must be Antifa. And then the George, I'm sorry. I, I just, Oh, you guys, I saw the best Antifa meme. Did you see the two dogs that had torn up the couch? Yeah, and, yes. and the parents come home and they're like, oh, the dogs say, oh, no, look what Antifa did. <laughs> <laughs> they've just they've created this boogeyman. I mean, it's their straw man, their boogeyman, whatever they want to do that they blame for for everything. You know, you've already become acquainted to this kind of nonsense on a local level. But, you know, it was shocking to see it go and in, in like LeJohn said, be normalized at a yeah. the world. Watch this. Yeah. Dig this since 1691. When when around when slaves arrived and everything, you would have thought by now the black community would have done that. You would have thought by now the Native Americans would have done that. Yeah. But no, this uprising that has been feared for so long is these oppressed peoples were going to do that. And instead, it was the opposite. The most entitled whitest people who are like, you're going to make me wear a mask. What next? Pay taxes? Exactly. Exactly. Wear pants. Go to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Not wear horns on my head. Microwave my bagel bites. (laughs) (laughs) Ma! Yeah. I, uh, that, LeJohn, that's a great point. I mean, it's, um, it, there's so much to shake out from, from everything that's happened and it's still happening by the way. I, we were given an FBI bulletin about threats at the state house, um, this, for this next week, you know, with an armed protest that you've all read about, I'm sure is we're not through this thing. Um, and I, I don't know what to expect. I think uh, we're more prepared certainly for it. Um, but I, I, I'm nervous about, um, the next week. I, there, after the election, I kept having these these mental dates in my head like, oh, well, we'll feel good after, you know, this legal challenge or after the um, electors vote or in, in each of the states or after Congress certifies the election. Right. But it, that that goalpost keeps getting pushed further and further out in my mind for when I'm going to feel like we're past this. Right. And I'm not I don't know now when we're going to get there, but we're still in it. In some ways, I don't want to say it's good, but in some ways. It's nice when it's obvious because you can spot it. Yeah. But I'm sure there's all kinds of undertones that you've experienced over the years, you know, where somebody doesn't quite come out and say it. 
You know, they're not wearing a swastika on their sleeve, but it's pretty obvious what they think of you. You know, what are some ways that that's kind of poked its ugly head over the years? Um, the, the campaign season is when things get most heated, without a doubt. And now having gone through a campaign and, a, and one General Assembly and then another campaign, I, I have learned about some of these rhythms and where when it gets heated. So, for example, in 2018, right near the end of the race, uh, this was a race that over a million dollars was spent, including $500,000 in dark money tied to Larry Householder that now uh, he's he's out. He's an indicted. He may be going to jail. So there was a lot of money in this race. My opponent was the Christian candidate in the race, and he and he and his wife made sure everybody knew that. But at the end, she recorded a Facebook Live video saying, if you don't vote for Mike, you're going to have to answer to God. Wow. And this really made the rounds at the end on both sides. So there was that kind of element. And it kind of repeated itself, this cycle, with my opponent would just keep saying, I'm the Christian candidate. She even wrote a note to one of my uh, my friends who's a, actually a Republican councilman who ended up endorsing me in, um, in Hudson. And uh, she said, Bill, I saw you were supporting Casey. You know, I thought you may also want to support the Christian candidate in the race. I, I consider it, you know, kind of going there from a dog whistle kind of perspective, just reminding, categorizing and reminding it from a religious sense, who's what. That's how I interpret it as a Jewish man. So, I mean, that's how that's how it comes out. And then, you, you know, Facebook comments, you write, you should never go in the Facebook comment section. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. There are some groups that I just don't even go in because of how overtly racist there are. But even the ones that I've that I'm a member of where I try to engage with constituents, you see some of these, especially the Harvey, George Soros stuff. So it's it's there. It's an undercurrent and it's just constant. You know, um, this candidate and his wife sound a lot like those kids on the baseball field where it's like they're grasping at straws for something to make you feel bad because they have nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what, like, what do you think it is? Because certainly we're all just humans and we don't even like know about religion until we're told what's going on. Is this? Can I actually speak to this for a second? Because here's my assumption. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still a learning human being. Um, we had next to no Jewish people uh, in our community growing up. I grew up in a very white Protestant or Catholic kind of area. We had one Jewish family move to our school at one point. And I just remember we were always teasing the girl. But it wasn't about what I would consider today like super heinous things. But it was still ignorant kids being ignorant. But it's not that we came up with that stuff. I'm certainly not blaming my parents, but I do blame any Christians who don't teach their kids at this day and age how to be anti-racist and open to other religions and cultures. And Christianity, I'm sorry, modern day American Christianity is a bully. I mean, but you're, and I dig what you're saying. You're not blaming your parents, and I'm not going to sit here and blame your parents either. But, at but the same, I will. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But at the same time, where, where did it all come from? Where, where does it all come from, from for all of us? From all it of definitely us? wasn't my parents because my mom would always say, the Jews are the chosen people. And I'm like, oh, okay, so they're actually better than us. She's like, well, they- Chosen for hell. You have to be messy on <laughs> My theory, my conspiracy theory, is all of the racist foot soldiers are doing it because they're scared and it's out of fear. And then all of the- racist policymakers are doing it because it's control. And if they can get the foot soldiers to be, you know, acting out of fear and acting hateful, 
then they can get them to do whatever they want just based off of this fear of this group's going to take this away from you if you don't storm the Capitol. Hmm. I think it's like the Patriots. You know, it's like whoever's on top, they stay on top as long as they keep it. But as soon as you lose your Tom Brady, you're screwed. And I feel like these racist groups are losing their Tom Brady. Hmm. That's their freedom. Wow. Matt, you said like it helps when it's so obvious. Last week, I I hope it was a wake-up call. I really do because it was so blatantly, disgustingly, disturbingly obvious what had happened and the the manifestation i guess like the end of the trump train right we've arrived at this moment i hope that it shocks some people into a little a few more into into reality yeah and how close we really kind of came like could you imagine if trump had a second term i don't know we'd come back i don't think we'd come back from that i don't think people realize how close we were to seeing politicians be executed live on television Yeah. In some ways, not as much as it should, but it has united some people. People have started to finally wake up and go, oh, I didn't realize it was this. Now, I'm annoyed that it took that to happen, like seriously, but that's what brainwashing does. You start to define things differently. We knew it was going to end up here. Yeah. Like there was no surprise. To me, I wasn't shocked for a moment. I was Mm. I was disgusted, but I wasn't shocked because we're like. This is what he's been calling for all along. There's been so much violence talk, even in his first run. You know, he's talking about if somebody gets in your way, you just punch him right in the face. I mean, there was it was always going to end up this way. But if it was violence in the streets and not at the Capitol, would this even be a wake up call? No, 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 because they would, as they've already tried to do, just say, well, Black Lives Matter burning down buildings. And you're like, first of all, no. Second, a target is a sacred building. Yeah. <laughs> like how how people can equate people marching for their civil rights right. with people storming a Capitol, obviously armed and with bombs and with zip ties to do physical harm to anybody who stood in their way politically. Come on. Yeah. And they and they know damn well that black people can't afford those prices at Target. That's why we did it. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. But 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 not but, even that five dollar band. Exactly. <laughs> but but seriously though, man, it's like and for it to just go down the way it did, with the response that it didn't have, and then you have the response that you have with a with a Black Lives Matter uh, protest or whatever, and it's just that that was the slap in the face. I mean, not that we were surprised again, but even the Florida congressman yesterday at the hearings. <laughs> He brought that up. They're the ones who lit the fires first. Oh, my God. In a vacuum, can we just say that was bad, what happened last week? Can we just agree just, you know, that without the whataboutism and uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter? And can we just screw screw up that about how insane those comparisons are? But just can we say that? No, we can't quite get there, can we? It was terrible that Antifa did it. (laughs) Yeah. George Soros and his minions, man. No, but I mean, that was my point is this event itself, not not to mention so many other things over the past four years, could have been a defining moment of unity where people were finally like, okay, listen, we can't agree on politics, but we can all get on board with Nazis are bad. I don't know where that leaves us, you know? I don't know. I, my hope is that Biden, for once a Democrat gets to come in and beyond doing the cleanup job that they have to do, hopefully enjoy some some things that are happening in the world that that make people feel better about their lives. And in this case, I'm talking about the vaccine, getting back to our normal lives, seeing an economic and a job rebound, having normal, boring government 
I, I, I crave boring ass government, please, <laughs> yeah. can, you know, can we get back to it? And, and people just saying, oh, well, we don't have to talk politics today. We can talk about the Buckeyes or the Browns or like, like truly without having all this other shit wrapped into it. So I'm hopeful that Biden can come in at a time when people feel over the over the next year, start to feel better about what's going on in their lives and that we can all start feeling better about the country and that there will be an element of of moving together. I I, I have that hope. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what will fix this? And is it is so much of this discord also because there's so much oppression and it's coming out sideways at people. And I know that we're saying that these white people storming the castle <laughs> are oppressed. And there was one black guy, yeah. one and a half black guys. For the for the record, it was not me. <laughs> it looked like a Where's Waldo because dude looked lost. If all of these people who, because it seems like these uh, what as we used to call them deplorables. They're very low class, but they want to be considered higher class than anybody next to him, which is why they're willing to be racist and anti-Semitic and just hateful towards other groups. If we were able to raise them up even just with like socialized medicine and and money <laughs> and jobs, do you think that a lot of these issues that we have in our country would be at least watered down enough. Joe, the irony of the policies that you were mentioning being the Democratic platform, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and how, how beneficial it would be to their lives. I think, yeah, I mean, I just read this morning about Biden getting ready to release his stimulus plan. That plan, I have no doubt, is going to uh, positively impact all Americans, not just, you know, a, a corporate tax cut or the, the richest Americans. I think there will be an element of that. I think people need to see this stuff in their real in their lives. It, it needs to be tangible and real. And there is an opportunity through policy and through stimulus to invest, reinvest in those communities. I, I think the number one thing uh, is education, closely followed by healthcare. Is, is providing those pathways to health and, uh, you know, maximizing your opportunity in life. And then just reinforcements to state and local governments and the programs at the county level that really, you know, help people where the rubber meets the road. That trifecta there, if we can get some great funding and great policy behind that. Yeah, I think that I think the answer is yes to your question that we can start to move past this. I think the cultural grievance part that, you know, as LeJohn mentioned, that's been a 400 year project that we're just we're continually learning. We're not moving past. So I, I can't I don't know about that. Right. And a lot of these foot soldiers at the Capitol, we're, we're seeing them and blaming them. But what about the policymakers who are sending out these messages? I mean, not just Trump. Are these people going to be held responsible? Is there a way to start? Like, do you have do you have any plans to fix this? Yeah. Well, help us, know, Casey. Help us. <laughs> I did. Uh, there was a letter that 30, I think 31 of my uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle sent to uh, the attorney general asking him to join the lawsuit to overturn the election. I called them out yesterday on Twitter and then the media picked it up. So they need to be held accountable. In Georgia, I read that folks that supported the overturn of the election there in the state Senate are losing committee assignments. Probably not. Joe in Ohio, no. I don't see people being held accountable. What the opportunity we have is to fix our districts and to create less gerrymandered districts and people that are less beholden to a, a rabid base. Like Jim Jordan, I have, there's just no chance he's ever going to lose a race in that district because of how the districts are drawn. So we have this once a decade moment here to try to get that to, to make that better. 
and to create more purple districts like mine, where you know you're looking at that middle of the road voter and compromise, and and that's where you're triangulating. So uh, once we get through that, and assuming that we get somewhat fairer maps, which is not a safe assumption, unfortunately, uh, you know we'll have a chance to get more balanced. How can citizens like us help with that? You know, I'd say just being aware and contacting your legislators uh, currently about how important it is, um, because there will be a vote on the maps that comes up this year. And uh, and there will be an opportunity for each of your representatives, both at at the congressional and the House and the state level uh, to weigh in on that and and contacting them. And then, you know, voting rights groups, League of Women Voters. uh, There's a lot of fantastic organizations that are working to influence that process in a positive way that you can contribute and support and volunteer with. I would hope one of the things that you could appeal to other people is with children. You have three kids. And they watched what happened on January 6th. As much as you try to shield them from it, they're going to feel hatred and judgment based on just who they are and how they were born. As a parent, that has to be heartbreaking and just infuriating. I guess, you know, if you were to put a message out there to that extent, what would it be? The the thought I always have, Matt, is what kind of country do we want our kids to grow up in? Do we want them to grow up with equality of opportunity, with diversity, with a healthy environment? Do you want your child to feel included versus excluded? And that's what I think about is when I put my kid on the bus in in the morning, like I want her to feel so supported and loved. And I don't want her to have any unnecessary fear or stress in her life. I mean, stress and fear is part of life, right? And stuff happens and you grow up and you learn from it, but I don't want her to have to have this extra thing of being from a Jewish family or or being divided. I don't want that for her. Her best friend is is Haven. Haven is is African-American and I want her to grow up in that diverse environment. And we talk about Haven. What kind of state and country do we want Haven to grow up into? Should Haven be treated any differently because of the color of her skin? And of course, my kids know the answer is no, um, but we're not there yet. And, and we're not close to there yet. So that's the fundamental question is what kind of country do you want them to grow up in? And what kind of fears and stresses do you want them to have in their life? There's enough out there already. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the fact that the communication aspect, that's what's so important to me. And that's one thing I stress with my children is just talking about it and being open to talking about it. And I love the fact that parents like yourself have no problem with being open and talking about these real life situations with their children. But where it's missing is white non-Jewish families with I'll refer to racism across the board. And, you know, I think that anti-Semitic, I'll I'll just refer to it as racism for simplicity's sake. But I think we have to teach the next generation to be anti-racist, not to just not be racist, you know, because there is a big difference between saying treat everyone the same and saying, if you see somebody being treated differently, you need to speak up. Well, I grew up on the south side of Boston, poor, one of five kids, and uh, just, you know, and I had to deal with the cards that I'm dealt. So I, I don't really see why we need to feel uh, any compassion for these other people. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what I hear a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's got a sob story. Here's the thing. And we've said it before on the show. Your, your suffering and your pain is still real. It still means something. But we're talking about you've never been treated differently because of the color of your skin, your religion. It's sad that we have to teach our kids this because we should already know this. 
but you just can't do this because this is where it ends up or worse. And, and on the flip side of that, your accomplishments, we're not taking your accomplishments away. I'm a white person who has worked hard in my life, right? And I'm also privileged. Two things can be true. So I worked really hard and I've gotten far in life. What I want is for people who work hard to be able to get far in life and that you can work really hard in this country and not. And it starts at birth. For black women, they die more giving birth. Black babies die more than white babies at birth. So you're never going to convince me that we are an equality of opportunity country or state or region when we at more babies are dying, more moms are dying right from the start. For white people, we need to understand, look, you're a bootstrapper. You've overcome great things. You've worked hard. Nobody's taking that away from you. Congratulations on everything. That's fantastic. But let's let the black people who work really hard also get there. Let's let them get there and let's remove these structural obstacles that box them in and prevent that from happening. Really appreciate you for saying that, man. That's that's dope. It's got me wondering because um, I'm loving your passion for service and, and community and things like that. And it's got me thinking, though, um, I know how you were saying that pretty much uh, public service was was in the blood. And that was the path. What was going to be the path otherwise? Rap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, that was good. <laughs> you know. It's a good question, LeJohn, because I, I, my dad went to the Air Force Academy. My grandpa went to the Naval Academy. My, you know, It's a military family I'm from. And that path was just kind of laid out for me. I wasn't forced to go that way, but it just was very clear. And guess what? It helped me that my family was, uh, it's hard to get into the Air Force Academy. And I was greatly assisted by the fact that my, my dad had a good job. We, you know, I had all the opportunity as a kid in the world. He had gone there. He's an alumnus. The Air Force Academy set the course for my entire life, how I started my career in active duty, meeting Amanda, everything I learned there. I had a, a relatively easy path to get there. That's how I, I, I view it in my life. doesn't mean I didn't work hard to get there and work hard while I was there. But I, I don't know. Uh, nobody's ever asked me that. It's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> and, and that's cool because, hey, that means you were you were setting your path and you knew what it, what it was and, and you, you owned it. And that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what? I take that back. Mm -hmm. I take that back. I wanted to be a marine biologist, but I did a summer camp um, one summer. My mom sent me to uh, a camp for marine biology and I got seasick on the little boat. <laughs> and, and what we did all day is they just sent little capsules down in the water to measure algae. And I'm like, well, screw this. I'm not going to be a marine biologist. I want to ride. I want to ride on a shark fin. That's the kind of marine biology. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to be a lawyer. Because I loved arguing so much. <laughs> and then I learned how much school you have to go to. I'm like, no, 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 yeah, no. no. I'll do video. <laughs> I, I wanted to be in politics, but then I was like, oh, I just like watching West Wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, made the, you made the rational choice there, Joe. Exactly. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so we're going to pause here for some music. And uh, with this topic, we thought it was really important to incorporate a Jewish musician and Lejan, you got a really good contact through somebody. Yes, indeed. I want to give a shout out first and foremost to uh, Miley Rose, an amazing actress that I worked with on the film Asteroid, for giving me uh, the contact and put me in connection with Mr. Eric Hunker. Um, my goodness, man, this this guy's all about it. Let me give you a little breakdown of Eric. Uh, Eric is a Tulsa, Oklahoma-based singer songwriter. His uh, first album 
All These Little Loves. It debuted at number nine on the iTunes Singer Songwriter Top 20. That's pretty dope. Seriously. Uh, he wrote and toured as half of the indie folk duo Eric and Happy for six years. They released their album It's Yours, which debuted at number 11 on the exact same list. That is really awesome, man. He uh, also toured the country and played the South by Southwest, uh, Sundance Film Festival, and the United Nations in New York City. And uh, right now, Eric is currently in the process of recording his second solo album, which is titled Beautiful Endings, uh, which is due to be released during the first quarter sometime in 2021 this year. So, Eric, man, we truly appreciate you allowing us to jam out your sounds, man. You are a really talented dude. Thank you, Eric. Beating in your throat, you bet that no one's felt this before. With her, it's different. They don't understand that it's heaven sent. And if all this shaking would relent, you'd hold her hand till you died. That's some really good music, man. Um, we also thought it was really fitting to tee up a Jewish-owned eatery for this episode. And so, who do we have? All right, check this out. It's, it's time for our snacks, sips, and sweets. And I'm really impressed that I'm able to talk because I have just been absolutely punishing these sandwiches from Jack's Deli in University Heights. Listen, I've had the pastrami. I've had the corned beef. I've had the chopped liver. That's right. I said I had chopped liver, and those who are non-chopped liver believers, I got something for you, ass, because this, this chopped liver is ridiculous. I'm a meat lover. I'm a straight-up carnivore, and I, and I need to probably calm it down, but Jack Deli is not helping because this food is ridiculous. These sandwiches are unreal. The rye bread is great. They did an amazing job, and uh, we got more to tell about their story. So, Lindsay, our producer, take it away. I had the privilege of meeting with uh, Jesse, who is the son of one of the owners, and... He told me this story in in the 80s, Jack Markowitz and his two sons, Alvy and Harry, founded this restaurant. And Jack grew up in Czechoslovakia and he experienced a lot of the, you know, traditional deli foods in the heart of Eastern Europe. And Jack and his wife, Lily, were actually both survivors of the Holocaust. Wow. You know, it tugs at my heartstrings, obviously. Like his goal was to, you know, after the fact, bring these wonderful foods and dishes along with the traditional dishes he grew up with at home to his restaurant here in Cleveland Heights. So I was in the restaurant. I went to go and pick up things for the podcast and they have this amazing case and it's just filled with corned beef, pastrami, potato pancakes, blintzes, matzo ball soup, chicken. Their soups look amazing. And they actually gifted us with some brownies and some homemade cheesecake. What? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Wait a minute. Well, it's about to be gone. (laughs) (laughs) So they're award-winning. They've won several awards in Northeast Ohio. 
and all of their dishes are still prepared the same way. They're from scratch and they're only using like local, the finest ingredients that they can find. So Small carbon footprint. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So eco-friendly. Eco-friendly and great quality. And they did such a great job preparing it for us. They wrapped everything really nice and they gave us really good instructions. Just to put this, this spread together, that's taking the time and taking pride in your in your food and your work. And you can taste it literally. So I'm sitting over here full and looking forward towards some more. And I hope that I can probably fight y'all to take some home. Yeah, I'm, I was going to really... say, I'm about to pump it down so then <laughs> I don't have the competition when I go to the deli counter. It was like out the door when I went there. There was a big line. And I went in and honestly, like they are doing so much with COVID. Yeah. They have like these awesome uh, dividers in their store so they can still have people come dine inside because they've been hit. They've been hit hard yeah. from yeah. COVID, which a lot of these other local right. vendors right. have been. And that's why it's so important to, to hit up the mom and pop shops. Let's take care of these mom and pop shops. Let's take care of these small businesses, man, and pump them up and put them out there and expose and explore their amazing foods because Jack's Deli is definitely one of them. We enjoyed it. And I'm coming back for more. And uh, I dare anybody in this room to fight me for what's left over. But no, we, we really thank Jack's Deli. Like, they're they're amazing. Please go visit them. Um, the atmosphere is super warm and welcoming. We'll have photos on our social to just show you, like, what a great atmosphere it is. And just thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jack's Deli. You, you took care of us and we couldn't be more grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jack's. So talking about your journey and your path, what does this term look like for you? I know you have a, some things that you're really going to do to change things for at least people in, in Ohio. So I'm, I'm hoping to be the ranking member on the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. As that's kind of been my, my main passion is renewable energy, climate change, environmental issues. That's what really, I'd say, got me politically involved, which unfortunately, we just, we've, we've got basically the worst policy in the country right now. So I, uh, I hope to work on that. I've got a, a gun reform bill on high capacity magazines that I'll be uh, um, reintroducing. I've got a bill for children's um, hearing aids, which, believe it or not, is controversial. <laughs> and um, it's called Madeline's Law, and it's to ensure that private insurers cover hearing aids for kids, which are not currently covered for a huge number of Ohio's children. Yeah, they're considered cosmetic is what I read. Yes, yes. Why is that's that? Right. That's some of the dumbest shit. What, well, why is it? I, I, think I mean, you can this guess. is the thing that people are like, <laughs> good God. This is, so it's a. It's basically by classifying them as a cosmetic device, it, it uh, puts them in a category that it's like a choice. And so it's not something that's covered by insurance. Like, like these kids you know, want to say, hey, I want to be the cool kid with the hearing aid, right? I mean, like, it's speaking about categorizing and, and treating kids differently, right? There's no kid on earth that wants that, but we need to give them, the, you know, I call it the right to hear. Like, they have the right. they have the right to hear. Was that a racist policy? Or I would like to know why it was considered cosmetic in the first place. To be honest, I haven't thought about it in that context. I, I view it more as insurers are constantly trying to reduce the number of mandates for insurance that they have. So I got to the state house and I wanted to work on this bill because Madeline is a family friend and, and she's a kid who whose hearing aids are not covered. And yeah, I was told, oh, no, 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 they, they did a mandate a few years back. I think it was some sort of autism coverage, which is a great thing. But there was an unspoken agreement that there wouldn't be any more mandates. And I said, well, I wasn't party to that. I wasn't party to that agreement. So I'm new here, so I'm just going to roll with it. And of course, the Chamber of Commerce rolled into my office and said, yeah, we're going to oppose your bill. 
And I'm like, I looked at this guy. I think he was sad to tell me this. You know, I'm like, search, search yourself, search your feelings. You know, like, <laughs> I, I tried to go Jedi on him. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you'd be nicer to take candy from a baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He just he looked. He had sad eyes when he was telling me this, and I just said, okay. I mean, we're going to move forward with the bill. We made it a bipartisan bill, but it didn't get through the um, the house. So we're going to reintroduce that and work on that too. And and so energy and uh, gun reform and um, some policing reform as well. Uh, there's a program called the 1033 program that uh, that channels military grade weapons like drones and tanks, you know, like street street tanks to um, to police departments. I want to curtail that program significantly. Oh, and uh, racial profiling. There was a Hudson man, African-American man who was down in Ravenna working for his his job for Summit County. And was on a cell phone when he was surrounded by police because a woman had reported him for suspicious activity for sitting in his car in on a cell phone. Wow. Um, can't, yeah. can't be doing that, man. Can't be doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. While, while black, you can't be doing no, that. No, not at all. Um, so that's uh, I want to work on that, too. I want to work on that, too. Can we quickly debunk something? And maybe you'll disagree with me, but. Oh, Democrats hate guns. I mean, you're a military guy. There's a big difference, in my opinion, between saying, I just don't want the average Joe to get his hands on a bazooka or something that can kill a lot of people in a short period of time and saying I'm anti-gun. <laughs> like, should we have people with assault rifles, like armed people coming into the Capitol? No, that's a line that I think we should draw, right? My family are big gun owners. I'm qualified on the M6, or at least I was qualified on the M16 and the M9. I know my way around a gun. I'll just be honest. I'm considering buying a gun right now. I'm concerned for my family at this at this moment, especially when I got a call saying to be careful and watch your security around your home and you know things like that. So, no, it, it absolutely you'll you'll you won't find a lot of Democrats who are saying we're against the Second Amendment. We're just for reasonable reforms that will reduce the number of people that die. Have you considered getting a black man with a phone and a car? <laughs> it's the most dangerous weapon. That's <laughs> all you need. When the founding fathers, because everyone's like, that's what our founding fathers wanted. When our founding fathers were writing the Second Amendment, they weren't like, I think each person should have their own canon, right? Especially our slaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's just kind of ridiculous. And I've gotten into arguments with people online, especially some of the more like hardcore military guys, where they're like, I should be able to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, shouldn't you have to pass like a psychological test or something? Like, shouldn't it be harder for crazy people to get their hands on weapons? I'm it, sorry. It's harder to get Sudafed. Yeah. I, I know, right? Because I'm a gun owner and I have no problem with people owning guns. I think everybody has the right to protect themselves and their family. And I'm trying to get Sudafed. <laughs> yeah. With this bill, I put this bill out last General Assembly for a reduction of high capacity magazines because the killer in Dayton, going back to Ned Peppers, he was able to kill nine people and wound 22 others in, I think it was in, in 30 seconds. It was under a minute. The police had this perfect response of they got in there, they got the guy, they put him down, but nine people were dead because he had a 100 round magazine. So I put this out there and the pushback I get is, oh, well, criminals don't obey laws. I'm like, okay, so this is the law that like, this is where we're going to draw the line and just stop doing laws. <laughs> like, should we get rid of stop signs? And that's tough to get your head around. And then like they say, well, people, there's, there's guns out there. People are going to die anyways. And I'm like, well, but I'm not trying to fix the entire problem with this bill. I'm just trying to save 
some lives. Can I try to save some? We don't care about the numbers. You know, if you see a billboard that said this year we've had 300,000 deaths from COVID, you don't care. You care about the one, the one that affects you, and that's it. Exactly. And that was suffocating from wearing this mask. I know, right? You care about that one poor white guy who had to wear a mask and (laughs) pants. Yeah. At the same damn time. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've enjoyed the the wearing pants undercurrent throughout this conversation. (laughs) There's there's always a theme. Thank God it was that PG. You know, it was like, he has to still have a political seat after this show. So so it's, it's it's like all these people... They they actually agree that the things that that you're saying and things that you're proposing and everything are good ideas, but it seems like, yeah, but the people who own us NRA or whatever they they won't like that, and that's that's what it always seems like it's, it comes it's down the to impeachment thing. Well, we agree that this was a heinous act, and we agree on everything. But we shouldn't impeach. That's where I draw the line. Because obviously the NRA wants you to keep buying guns and wants you to keep buying bullets because money, 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 money. I yeah. love money, money, money. You could boil down 99% of this with money. Oh, Every, seriously. Yeah. Absolutely. With all the racial undertones and the, the Nazis and QAnon, we know how this will play out. It's it's gross that, like you said, we're moving backwards. So instead of thinking about moving backwards, let's kind of end on moving forwards. What are your future plans? Are you going to stay in politics? Do you want to go for higher seats or do you see your work and service moving in a different direction? Like rapping. Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough white Jewish rappers. Let's be honest. Modest Yahoo. That's our guy. I don't know. If you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I truthfully don't know. And I, I will not give a politician's answer of like, I'll keep my options open. Things that matter to me are balance in my life. And the state house is, is a job I love, which also gives me balance in my life. I commute to and from Columbus, my little version of the Joe Biden Amtrak train like, to be home with the kids, right? And I, I get to do that every night. And I also have another job and another passion that I, I, I love. I support the DOD, the Department of Defense in that job, and, and I get to pursue that. And my wife gets to have her career because she's got an amazing career. So I like where I'm at now. I love serving in the state house, um, Congress, just the whole kind of concept of it, it being away most Tuesdays through Thursdays, both the campaigning for it and serving don't uh, fit into our life today. And my family's always going to come first. So I want to keep serving. I don't know where or at what level I'm term limited and six, I have six more years in the state house and, I just kind of take these things two years at a time and just sort of see where's my family at, where's my wife at, where's, you know, where's the the country at. And uh, the other thing is there's this roadblock of of uh, gerrymandering and, and there has to be a winnable race to go for, too. And I'm not just going to run to lose. That's the first lyric of your rap song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to run a race to lose. I'm not going to run to lose. <laughs> Bitch. Featuring LeJohn. Exactly. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He's just in the back. Bitch, what? <laughs> you guys are funny. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but um, did you say that you work with the DOD, the Department of Defense? Yeah, yeah. For my, my other job, I work for a technology company that supports the Department of Defense's uh, mission. So I, I have that passion. I still get to work with members of the military. And, and so that's, that's a, a great thing and, and balance in life that, that I'm able to continue to have too. There's a lot of amazing legislators out there, but for some, being in office becomes so critical to their life that they'll sell their soul. I mean, and I just, 
I worry about that. I, I like I, I can never let this thing be- define me so much that just sell my soul one way or another. I never want to ever get close to that. And I don't think I will. But that's in the back of my mind. You know, no, no, that's great. And I hope you always worry about that. Yeah. When a, a, a black person or a person of color is, is coming across a police officer and they're in that kind of situation, they're thinking about, man, is this my last moment? Is this, is this cop getting ready to kill me? And I always say to myself, I don't want to talk to the police officer. I want to talk to the man or the woman. I don't want to talk to the badge. I want to talk to the son, the daughter, the, the father, the mother, that there, there's a genuine person underneath that badge. There's genuine people on, uh, behind the politician label. And, and you can't forget about that genuine person. And that fear that you have is the genuine person in you. And I hope that you always have that worry because, man, you see some people it's just like, what the hell happened to you? How did you become this person? The, the, the politics made you this monster, you know, like you said, selling your soul, that's some scary shit, man. What I hope personally is that if somebody like you leaves politics, that you have somebody coming in after you with the same ideals. That's so important too. And it's probably going to be me. I'll move to Hudson. And, and, yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> I would love that. I would love awesome, that. Man. You, you have made me a Casey Weinstein fan. I was a fan already, but uh, this just talking to you is just. LeJohn awesome. just said, so, I'm thinking about yeah. not voting for his opponent next time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, LeJohn. I, I, it means a lot to me. It really does. And um, it, it, truly. So thank you. Do you have any final thoughts? Because I know you got to get going here to what people, the average person can do. If you want to make a difference. You know, step up and and do something locally. Pick the path that matters most to you. You'll get most out of it and you will stick to it if it's an issue that matters a lot to you. I just was talking to a young man yesterday who wants to get involved in politics and I gave him this exact advice. Find the thing that matters to you and find the organization or entity or start it and and get involved. I think what makes you a great anti-politician is that you're human. You, you haven't become jaded. No, because we've seen it. We've seen it happen. And like you said, people stop caring at some point because they're owned by other entities or by a party or something else. My dad went into politics and, I, and I'll be honest, he was a Republican, but he was he cared about his city. He ran for city council. People on both sides loved him and hated him because it was it was people first. And those are the ones where we're sad to see you go, but we understand because you stay there long enough and you'll become one of the bad guys. We appreciate what you've been doing and the words that you've shared with us today. And our hearts are broken for you and other people in your community for having to see this level of hate rise back up, you know, like we're back in 1940s Germany. I think we're going to take it upon ourselves as a call to action to speak out against the people who stand up and do this and say, this is not okay. We draw the line well before that. This is not okay. Yeah, you're part of it. You're part of that process of healing and moving forward. And we'll we'll get there. We really will. I have complete confidence that we'll get there. So th- I'm so appreciative of the conversation and the uh, honesty and openness. And and for you guys bearing with me through our lame duck session and COVID in my family and and us. I'm I'm glad we get we were able to meet and talk and would love to meet in person one day when that's a thing again. <laughs> <laughs> when it's a thing, right? I reached out to you on Facebook. I promised you. I said as soon as it's okay, we're gonna grab a drink. I would love that. A post election uh, celebratory drink. I would love that. If this election ever ends, I would love to do that. <laughs> we are eternally in the 2020 election. And we get through this and. And I uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. I think I like you a lot. I don't want to lose this field. Don't want to lose what we've got.
thank you again, Casey. And then we also want to say thank you to Jack's Deli for the awesome food. And you can visit them at jacksdelianrestaurant.com. And to our musical guest. Yes, Mr. Eric Hunker. He's on uh, Spotify, uh, Facebook at Eric Hunker Music, uh, Instagram at Eric Hunker Music, Twitter at Eric Hunker, TikTok at Eric Hunker Music, and Bandcamp at erichunker.bandcamp.com. Check him out. We just went there. Now you can go to Instagram at the Going There Podcast, Facebook at Going There Podcast, or email us at goingtherepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsey Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Kelly, and Bobby Thomas. I think I like you a lot.